on my first weekend here at Notre Dame, if you were here, you remember that I shared some, just a, a couple deep convictions that I have. Convictions that I hope will stay, steer and, and shape who we are at Notre Dame and, and what we'll do here at Notre Dame. One of those convictions was the conviction that the world is crying out right now. There is pain, there's confusion, there's hopelessness, despair. People longing and searching for answers to those questions of who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Looking and grasping for almost, like towards anything almost for hope. I mean, we, we just, we can turn on the news, read the headlines. Not even that, but just in more particular, those of us here this morning, at, at each and every one of us knows someone probably who is, who is struggling with hope. Maybe lending towards despair, who are lost, confused. The second conviction that I shared was the fact that in Jesus Christ there is hope deeply held conviction that the gospel has power to transform lives. It changes hearts and it gives hope. The problem is that we no longer live in a, in a culture or society that values God. Our society doesn't value the importance of going to church. Our society doesn't value placing God on the top of the priority list. And as a result, our surroundings now don't contribute or don't facilitate us of having a spiritual awareness. Our gospel today, we hear from, we're in the seventh chapter of Mark's gospel, and we hear this encounter between Jesus and this deaf man. And from this passage, we hear the power of environment we hear the problems that come from the environment. And then third, we hear of a healing touch. So first, the power of environment. In verse 31, it says that Jesus entered into the region of the Decapolis. It's important to know that Decapolis is, is a, it's a region of, of 10 cities, and these cities, it's a pagan land. And that is to say, there's believers there, but they're mostly unbelievers. And so, in other words, it's like, it, it's what we, it's where we live, our culture and our society. It's, it's your street, it's your block. Those that you are in school, whether it's grade school, high school, young adults, you're, it, where you go to work. We live in a secular age. You may be saying, well, Father Mark, most of the people on my street believe in God. Like, most of the, even classmates at school believe in God. That would be true statistically, right? I think the more recent Pew Research poll, polling Americans, how many believe in God? I think it's like 85% of Americans believe in God. But I'm talking about like being a pra so that's, that's not an atheist. That'd only be 15% of Americans are atheists. But how many are practical atheists is what I'd like to say. Practical atheists in the sense that maybe believe in God, but they don't go to church ever. They don't have any sort of routine prayer life of an intimate relationship with Christ. A more practical atheist, what contributes to the secular culture. 
And that's important just to get a sense of, like, that's the environment in which we live because there's power in environment. And environment, the environment influences our behavior. Environment influences our values. It influences how we think. Environment even shapes in who we become. There was a man in the 1960s, but his name was Laszlo Polgar. To say he loved chess was an understatement, okay? Before he had his children, he vowed that his children were going to be chess champions. He ended up having three daughters. And the Polgar raised their three children in a home that had chess books all over the place, had pictures on the wall of famous chess players. It had chess boards everywhere. There was always conversations about chess. And the environment signaled that chess was important. Well, the children, these three daughters, picked up on that signal. And they grew up loving the game of chess. And guess what? They all three daughters went on to become Grand Master Chess Champions. The environment in which we live plays a role in who we become. And because we live in a secular environment today, that does something to us. It's not just nothing. And oftentimes there's problems that arise. These problems that emerge here, verse 32. Verse 32, we read that the people brought to Jesus a deaf man. From this environment, Jesus enters into that realm, and the people bring to him this deaf man. Now, to be sure he was physically deaf, and to be sure Jesus physically healed this deaf man. But there's always deeper layers here to the gospel. And as church fathers pointed out, physical deafness is always a signature of spiritually deaf. And so this man's environment, this secular environment, this non-believing environment, led him to be spiritually deaf. If we're to look around today at our surroundings, where we live, where we work, where we go to school, there's very little in our environment that promotes the spiritual life. It's, it's just what it is. Very little in our life promotes the, spiritual, the importance of the spiritual life. And the thing is, we're created for, for the spiritual life. We're wired, we're hardwired. How we're created is to be in communion with God, to be connected with God. That's who we are as human beings. But because of original sin, our hearts are broke. And it's easily to get confused. It's easily to have the priorities get out of whack. And then you throw the environment now that we're in, in the secular environment, it makes it incredibly hard, incredibly hard to sustain and to thrive in a spiritual life. And to keep it from just this, okay, we, okay, we live in this secular environment, this secular culture, we, that can get, kind of be this vague thing, but keep, bring it really practical terms. Of like, look at what's normal. What are the social norms today in our culture and society? The social norms that just because we're living it, we're engulfed by them and be not even thinking about it, we just accept them. And they contribute to our spiritual deafness. 
I was talking to a dad the other day and he was telling me the pressure that he feels along with his wife, the pressure that they feel to have their children play in all these sports, travel sports, not just with the school, but travel sports. Are sports good? You've heard me already talk. I've been, even been criticized for talking about sports too much, okay? I love sports. Travel sports are a good thing. But to the extent that sports, travel sports, get in the way and mess up the priority and have it being more important than God and family, then it becomes a problem. But see, the social norm with regards to neighbors, friends, school, the social norms doesn't allow us to think that way. So there was another, another father telling me that he, he lets his children play travel sports, it's, it's great, but he always makes a point to email the coach when they have a Sunday morning practice or a Sunday morning game, he emails the coach and says, my child won't be able to be at practice this Sunday. He won't be able to play the game in that game on Sunday morning. And he makes a point to say, well, because we're going to be at mass, we're going to be at church. That's breaking a social norm. That's, and it's, it's incredibly difficult to break social norms because there's pressure. One is seen as an outcast. One can be mocked. Breaking social norms are difficult, but it's a reality. It's an environment. It contributes. It can contribute to spiritual deafness. Sports is just one example. Phones, social media. What's the social norm surrounding that? What's well, always beyond them? And there was a mother telling me the other day, Father Mark, the pressure that my husband and I feel to have our children have a phone, their own cell phone, and have social media at a younger and younger and younger age. If it's no, what's the blowback? Well, maybe, well, certainly from the child's perspective, you're not a good parent. But even from others, you wait, you won't let your child have social media at this age, whatever it might be. Social norms, they can contribute to spiritual deafness. Good things, right? Phone's a good thing. To what extent we need to, we need to collectively and as individuals, as an individual, as, as spouses, as a family, to ask ourselves the question, what social norms do we follow as an individual, as a family, that contributes to my spiritual deafness or our family's spiritual deafness? Really important question to ask in a secular environment. The other move here, the other problem that emerges is in verse 32. We also learn that this man had a speech impediment. Those that never heard Oftentimes, a speech impediment accompanies that. The same is the case in the spiritual life. If we're spiritually deaf, our ability to speak into the culture is lessened. We become tongue-tied in some ways to talk with coworkers, to speak into the hearts of our children. Spiritual deafness contributes to a speech impediment, speaking to the truths of the faith, the truths of life, the truths of the human heart. As I told 
parents at the this past Wednesday, in the beginning of the school year, we had the parents come in, and as I told them on, on Wednesday evening, like, of course, you want your child to be a, a man or woman when they get older to be of high moral character, to know what is true, to know what is good. But if it's not coming from your tongue, it's not, they're not, getting, they're not gonna get it anywhere in our culture and environment today. It's not gonna happen. So to the extent that we're spiritually deaf in some ways, then it, it inhibits our ability to speak into it. And parents just have this sixth sense, right, of just knowing when there's something off with your child, right? You have this sixth sense of, of, of knowing that they're not doing well. Do you have the language to speak into their heart with the love of the gospel, the truth of the human person? Or is our tongue in some way tied? Do we have a speech impediment in ways because of some spiritual deafness? Or you're in high school, you're in junior high, and you notice a classmate or someone who's struggling at school or a coworker. Are you able to speak into their life on the level of the heart with the gospel? Are you able to speak truth into their heart? because that kind of language can heal. And so lastly here, the healing touch that we see, this last move in the gospel, this healing touch in verse 33, it says that Jesus took aside this gentleman from the crowd privately. So he took him away. He took him away from this environment and he healed him. The environment we live is powerful environments do affect the way we behave and we can easily be sucked into social norms that contribute to pushing God to the side absolutely but the gospel is also powerful the gospel is more powerful what Jesus did is more powerful that he came and he took on flesh and he died on the cross and he speaks words of healing and what he did is powerful and that he can heal wounds and he can restore our spiritual deafness to whatever extent spiritual deafness has creeped into our soul or it's creeped into our family that can change because jesus christ has power to change what he's done on the cross is transformative spiritual deafness is not just something that happens to us right hey we're just a victim of our culture and society it's a secular culture so it's like I'm just a victim of that. No. It is something that is the result of the choices that we've made over time. And that's good news because that means we can make a choice today of counting on Jesus' healing power to say, Lord, come and open my heart today. Open my spiritual deafness. Restore in me those areas that have become just mute, that have impeded my speech. Come, Jesus, today and break open my heart so that we can then be healed and we can speak clearly into a culture that is in desperate need of knowing the power of the gospel.